0: You're listening to the Purpose Driven Person Podcast. This podcast is made for leaders unwilling to give up their desires to be purpose driven. Guys, I made this show for a compass for you to have more purpose in leadership through four concepts, creation, communication, collaboration, and connection in both business and in life. My name is Matthew Leland Cox. I'm the founder of Never Give Up Youth Healing Center, Never Give Up Wellness Center, and Never Give Up Foundation. You can find me at matthewlelandcox.com. Are you ready? Well, let's do this. All right, welcome to the show. I'm so excited on this show, the Purpose Driven Person show, that we have Annette Hines with us. And on this show, it's a really special show for me because this is something I've done over the years, uh, establishing the Never Give Up Foundation and working with individuals with intellectual and physical disabilities and and I'm excited for the work that Annette's doing out there. So, Annette, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you.
1: Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here.
0: You know, as I was going through it, when I came across your book and um, just what you're doing as a lawyer, it was, it was just like God speaking to me. I says I got to reach out to this woman because she's doing what I could never find when I would help um, kids or parents. Uh, let, let's give the audience a little of your background because you're an attorney in Boston, is that right? That's right. And, and tell them a little about what you do and who you are, and then we'll get it. We'll, we're will get we going to dive into your book here.
1: Well, I always like to say I'm a mom first. That's
0: the most that's important. My,
1: that's my true identity. So I'm a mom first of two beautiful girls, Caroline and Elizabeth, and, um, and I'm a lawyer second. And I'm also an entrepreneur, business owner. Um, so I've always, um, I've always had businesses. I started my own law practice uh, pretty much right out of law school, and and then started an, another business just a short little while ago that does more for families with special needs kids because. Not everybody can afford a lawyer, so I wanted to make sure that we found another way to reach out to people and get good information out to them and supported them, so we can talk more about that later if you yeah. want, but, um, yeah. but so important to just uh, kind of really touch everybody in the community, so besides those two things, I also am an author and a speaker, and I just am... I think an all-around community builder.
0: Wow, you know looking back on all this you never thought you'd be where you're at through the experience that you've you've experienced through your life would you? Oh god
1: no, I was like (laughs) the shyest quietest kid completely and although I think everybody would say I was a smart kid I had you know a lot of um, challenges in school like you did because Although I was always a smart kid in school, I struggled quite a bit.
0: Yeah, and we were talking about that before the show. And, um, you know, having that struggle, it, it really puts a, a, a bittersweet on it when you look back and see what we accomplished as, as those kids, right? You yeah,
1: know. I mean... Who knew that somebody with dyslexia and ADD was ever going to make it through law school That right. and an MBA on top of it? That was <laughs> like a miracle. But um, I don't know, somehow my brain figured out how to manage all of this information, and I was a fiend for trying to figure out how to, you know, claw my way out of poverty. never give up right right
0: yeah never give up (laughs) and that's and and it's funny you say that because I I think it was for me too uh, being an ADD kid and struggling I learned how to do school does that make sense I shop teachers I figured it out um for college college is a different animal than high school because it was more uh, I remember a high uh, a math teacher I had to I flunked math seven times. I, I could not get through math for, for the life of me. And on a on summer, I still remember Mr. Bowler, he was a lawyer. And mm-hmm. um, I shocked every teacher until I met Mr. Bowler and I interviewed him. And I explained what my struggle was. And he says, I got you. So I came to his class only during summer. And the way he taught fit my personality. So I got through it. I got a C minus. I was OK. I ran out and said, I'm good.
1: That's so cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, I so, can always see numbers. numbers. Yeah,
0: so it's all about shopping, right? We, we learn how to get through school. But let's jump over because I, I want to get to work on this because it's just amazing um, and also just f- heart-filling of what you've seen as a parent. So uh, let's jump to your book, uh, Butterflies, right, in Second yeah. Chance. And I love the title, by the way, Butterflies in Second Chance. Uh, tell us why you named it that. What what, what, what inspired you to name it, Butterflies and second chance.
1: So Butterflies is obviously for my daughter, Elizabeth, who loved Butterflies. And for some weird reason, Butterflies always landed on her. They loved her. And now that Elizabeth is gone, um, cause the book is all about our life together. And Elizabeth had a rare mitochondrial disease that did take her life. Um, she, um, you know, now that she's passed, Um, My second chance is, it's all about, you know, what happens after, because nobody really wants to talk about what happens after you lose a child. And, um, and I see butterflies everywhere. She visits me all the time now. And she's still with me. And it's, it's really beautiful. And, um, and it's been hard. It's a, it's a metamorphosis, too. And it's an evolution. And my life is different now. It's not better. It's not worse. It's just something different. And so I talk about that a lot in the book. And, you know, I started the book as a kind of a journal and a way to just deal with the crushing pain and grief. And as I was partway through writing down some of these painful feelings, I started to realize that it might be helpful for somebody else. And then I decided to maybe turn it into something because my whole career has been about helping other families and connecting all of us in the community. And I thought, I think, I think this really might be something. And so that's when it turned into something else other than just a journal.
0: No, I I love it because when I first started opening the book, first, I want to say thank you for making it an easy read for me. Um, It was real simple. It immediately got me caught into that first chapter. You know, over the years, training parents, the biggest fear is the unknown. You know, we build up as parents. We're like, okay, I'm going to be a mom. It's exciting. And, And then something happens 29 weeks early. You go into the hospital. You're you all by yourself, and you're just going, okay, what's going on? You know, Um, seems like they rushed you into the C-section. It seemed overwhelming. Tell us a little bit about that, and in the book, you talked about how overwhelming that was.
1: Well, I was a young mom, not a. You know, teeny tiny young mom. I mean, I was 27, so not really young, but I literally had really just gotten out of school, so I hadn't really been on my own very long. And had um, got out of school, got married. Really, Um, my husband wasn't with me, and um, I went into the hospital to have a test. And the next thing I knew, they told me that she had to be born, and where rushing me down the hallway clothes flying I just I I Didn't feel like I had much choice everything was just kind of happening so fast and Throughout that whole experience. I didn't feel like I was getting a lot of information and I really needed information. I needed to slow the world down. I needed to talk I needed to process I mean, I have that kind of neurodiverse brain, so I couldn't process what was going on around me. And it was so scary and, um, and, and really just being alone and being so scared and my, I was in another state. My family was here, Boston, and we didn't have cell phones back then. <laughs> So,
0: yeah, you mentioned <laughs> that you called everywhere. Pick
1: up the phone and call anybody. <laughs> I couldn't find anybody. So I thought I was having this baby by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, I'd never had an operation before. I'd never been in the hospital before. So I hadn't even gone to birthing classes yet. Like, so it was, um, it was bad. It was really scary. And Nobody had told me what was going to happen to her. And so it was, it was a pretty tough experience. And I don't think that they were really thinking, okay, so we have to let this mom know what's going to happen next. And, you know, the anesthesiologist is going to come in and explain this and explain this. Like they were just sort of, they went into, you know, doing their job mode Mm -hmm. and taking care of you know, business mode. And um, I honestly don't think that would happen so much today. I think they've gotten better at things today. Um, But, but it was a long time ago, 24, almost 25 years ago now. And, um, and, you know, it was really more just, I almost felt like a piece of meat, kind of pushed around a bit. And, uh, and then when she was born, there was no sound because she didn't cry and nobody told me that she wasn't going to cry and they weren't going to give her to me. They just rushed her away because she wasn't breathing and I didn't know if she was dead, you know, like, so I, I didn't know what was happening. They were working on her somewhere else and I had no idea what was going on. So it was really scary the whole time. Yeah. And and my you, finally came over and told me that they what they were doing, they were working on her and they were trying to get her on a, you know, a ventilator and everything.
0: So lots of just thoughts going through your head as a new mom. You're just sitting there in the hospital thinking, and, you know, I want to kind of point this one out is you, you said in there, um, I think it was on this one. Um, this was after she was born and she she was with the doctor. You talked about um, her being, you know, what was happening and how you were feeling and everything. You didn't even know if, if, if something was going on. And at th- that point, <clears throat> I think you mentioned, I didn't even know if I knew instead of feeling really lost, I was stuck in some kind of holding pattern or mm-hmm. I was waiting for all the weird stuff to finally end and then I can be, uh, get to work and be being a mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us a little about that. I, I, I highlighted that because that was a really interesting insight.
1: Yeah, that was, you know, as we were kind of in the NICU for so long, and, you know, I was back and forth, back and forth to the NICU, I kept waiting for when was my actual motherhood going to start? Oh, you know, when, when was the motherhood part going to actually start? when were they going to give me my baby and when was I going to start living my life as a mom, you know? um, And it it did feel like we were just in this weird in between. And I've talked to so many parents who Mm -hmm. have been in that, you know, in between NICU experience or whose kids have spent prolonged time in the hospital. And it is so, weird and bizarre to have those caregivers those medical caregivers in between you and your child because you don't you're not really parenting at that point you know there's there's no there's so many decisions you don't get to make and um you're just waiting for your life to start
0: it, and it's weird in these few few first chapters, this all happened in a matter of just days. It's not like over, but it feels, it probably felt like an eternity to you as a mom, right?
1: Yeah. It, it was like being in an episode of the twilight zone.
0: Yeah. Cause I, I was reading, I was like, man, this is all happening on just a matter of days, but it feels so long. And you used one word in there. Um, and I heard this a lot when I work with parents uh, as I spoke across country is numb. Mm. Tell us a little about that. Cause a lot of parents would say, I just felt numb. I didn't know how to felt and they felt guilty about feeling that way. Um, how, how do you,
1: you don't get to bond. So I think that's mainly as you look back and you think about it later, I think that's what's happening is that you don't get that bonding time right away. So there's not, there's no connection going on there yet. You know, there's no, there's no, um, real sensation. Mm -hmm. So you're just walking around in this weird numb, you know, numbness, no feeling, no, um, there's no, um, emotion yet. You don't know how to feel. You don't know really what's happening and, um, And there is a lot of guilt. You're always feeling guilty because you don't know if you have, am I having the right emotion? Um, You know, should I go home and sleep? Should I be here the whole time? What's the appropriate reaction and response? You know, you don't know if you're caring enough. You don't know if you're doing enough. You don't know what did I do to cause this? Am I parenting right? What's, you know, it, it, you just, you're never enough. You're never yeah. enough. And that's the beginning of the guilt trip that lasts forever in a day yeah. and never ends.
0: <laughs> And And you mentioned that after going back to the room, when you first went to the NICU, they explained everything. You talked about that emotion. Then you went back up to your room and you just sat there. Did I do the right things? Did I make some mistakes? You started walking through your whole life. Saying, "Wait, this is not what it's supposed to be like. Uh, this is not yeah. what I was preparing for. Um, what was that like?" Because I hear parents all the time uh, say, "All you use the words, my intentions gone out the window. My, my initial, or my, um, and it, uh, I think you said your, your dreams, your hopes. It just hey, they're all gone. Now what?"
1: So I was one of those kids who, you know, I didn't have a really great early beginning. Mm-hmm. Like so many people. And I thought, if I just keep my head down, I just do what I'm told. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go to school, I'm gonna work hard, I'm gonna stay out of trouble, I'm gonna follow the rules, I'm I'm just gonna, you know, XYZ, right? So this is it. And then I did it, and I just I just followed those rules. I kept my head down. I went to school. I got the right jobs. I saved my money. I did this. I did that. And then this happened to me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Why? It's not supposed to happen to me. Why me, right? I was so confused, so confused. And I, then I had to go back and I had to think, what did I do that called this to me? You know, what did I do that brought this to me? Because I thought I did everything I was supposed to do, followed all the rules. I went to school. I went to law school, kept my head down. And yet I didn't get the perfect baby. I didn't get the perfect life that I was. I felt I was promised. And yet, not to get too philosophical or get too religious on you, but I am a faithful person. Yeah. And I will tell you that in those moments, God came and said, here is your perfect baby. This is what you were meant to have. This is the life that you were meant to have. Through Elizabeth, I got a second chance at happiness, at beauty, at, at a beautiful life. And she gave me a life, and a career, and a world, a community that I love dearly. Uh, the a path to joy and righteousness that has been. I can't even tell you how amazing, how fulfilling. Um, uh, The possibilities have been endless and, you know, it has it beat me up? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Have I been, has the road been easy? No. I mean, read my book. You will see it. It wasn't day one. It did. I did not learn that lesson in day one. That lesson was a hard one through many years and and it was like, I say in the book, it was like the ocean, the waves battered me, but eventually this beautiful shoreline, you know, came through and I am full of gratitude for yeah. those lessons that I have learned, here, Full I... of gratitude for Elizabeth having been here with me and she's still with me. So that's what I have to share with everybody in this you- book.
0: And you're also doing a lot of her legacy by continue to help families. I mean, you would have, I think, went a different path if if this wouldn't have happened. It would have been a different path. Um, practicing Absolutely. law. And I, I look at it like a gardener. You know, a gardener prunes a, a bush, cuts it back. And the reason they cut it is to make it stronger, right? Right. Uh, to grow. And, and if we're talking about that, you know, I think – I always looked at it and i tell the parents when I, you know, cause having my disability has been struggling. But one of the things I've learned is it's humbled me. It's kept mm-hmm. me humble. So I feel that it's a gift, even though it's a frustration. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, cause there's days I want to punch the wall. Cause you know, I have to ask my 10 year old how to write something. <laughs> so, <Yep. laughs> but you know, we get around it and, 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 and don't get me wrong. Disabilities are different. So I want to talk about that a little too. Uh, and again, I I really do encourage listeners really get this book even if you don't have a child with a learning or a physical disability, or if you know somebody, it I think it gives you insight and know how to approach those that are working through it um, because if you have somebody you might know because I always got that how do I and and I want to ask you this um, and how did how do people because they probably approached you different when they saw you and Elizabeth or Elizabeth out. A lot of Mm -hmm. people get a little uncomfortable when they see kids in wheelchairs and and how do they react because they feel sorry for somebody. Um, What would you tell somebody that doesn't have a kid with a disability how to approach somebody else?
1: I think always just ask. If you have a question, just come up and ask. No question is a stupid question. I'd rather have people ask us than turn away from us. There you go. Um, Elizabeth was a beautiful soul and she was so happy, always had a smile even when she was in pain and she was so full of joy and, but she could see when people turned away from her and that did hurt her. So for her, if people came up and asked, you know, little kids were, I mean, they were like so honest Mom, why is she drooling like that, you know? Or, Mom, why is she sitting in that chair, you know? But I love it because it gives you an opportunity to interact with them. It's honest, you know? Mm-hmm. We would much rather be honest and have that conversation than not talk about things like that. It's, it's why, it's what allowed Elizabeth to be part of something, part of the community, it made her real to them as opposed to making her invisible to them. Yeah. You know,
0: well, and was... a wheelchair doesn't con- uh, define the individual. It's just what they have to work through, right? You know, you had Stephen Hawkins, which was an, a genius. A genius. He he was a scientist and uh, amazing. And he spent his whole life in a wheelchair, right? Uh, but he was beyond intelligent. And I had a little girl when I went to one event, I remember – she, I, I would do my presentation for the parents and I'd meet with the kids one-on-one as a coaching session. And she came in and she was in a wheelchair. She was paraplegic and just teenager. She, I think she was 16. And she goes, Mr. Matt, I just want to feel like I'm normal. And I says, well, you tell me what that means. And I just asked her and she, she very articulate. And uh, she says, and she said that everybody looks at me different. You know, and I learned she, I, I always said I got taught more working with those kids and um, yeah. than anything kind of chokes me up when I talk about it, but, of course, um, but what she taught me. So every time I saw somebody in a wheelchair, I, I went out of my way to say, Hey, what's your name? You know, cause, cause that's all they want. They want right. to feel normal. They want to feel, and I always laughed. I says, I, I don't know what normal is, but, um, and it's tough. I mean, from the perspective of a parent to the child in the wheelchair, both are fighting a different battle, right? Mm-hmm. So, what was what was Elizabeth's struggles through it? Did she ever express her frustrations to you?
1: So, Elizabeth, um, Elizabeth suffered through a lot silently. Mm-hmm. She was a nonverbal kid, so mm-hmm. she didn't. Um, really she didn't really come out with much um when she was really in a lot of pain or when she was really frustrated with something she would cry um or if she was uncomfortable with a person or somebody approaching her in a certain way she would turn away but Mostly, she was pretty tolerant overall, so we didn't see a lot of that. And really, it only came down to, towards the last few years of her life, she had um, a lot more painful moments and Mm -hmm. um, spent a lot more years kind of shutting down and being a lot quieter or having a lot more bouts of, of crying jags. And it got harder to watch unfortunately
0: you guys ended up as time went on you talked about in the first of your book trying to figure out what it's going to be like to be a mom and eventually in the middle you talked. how did the connection change when was the turning point where you guys you and her made a really good connection as a caregiver and a mom
1: that's such a great question thank you for asking that um in the beginning i felt so frenzied, especially after my second daughter came along and I felt so overwhelmed with just trying to keep up with the day-to-day and trying to do everything perfect, you know, again with this whole idea of like, oh my God, I got to do everything perfect. And by that point, by the time my youngest was one and Caroline, I mean, Elizabeth was five, I was getting a divorce which was hard, not something that probably a lot of people that you work with have experienced, I bet. You know, it's it's all too common in our circle, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was single parenting at that point and just feeling like so much financial pressure and just so much pressure. I mean, living out in the suburbs and just every just feeling this pressure from... Everything that you see on Facebook and social media and, you know, in our community, just to be just perfect all the time. Everything had to be awesome. Um, I just was running like a crazy person, and I did not feel like I had time to even just enjoy my kids and enjoy my life as a parent and, and enjoy my family. But... At one point, Caroline stopped. My little one stopped and looked at me when she was about, I don't know, five or six years old. And she said to me, Mom, when am I going to have to start changing Elizabeth's diaper?
0: Oh.
1: And I got stopped in my tracks, Matthew. And I I couldn't believe that she was already worrying about that, you know. And I realized that I needed to stop slow down because this little child of mine was already internalizing all the worry and internalizing all of the angst about what her life was going to be like someday and having to take care of her older sister. And I thought we have to start enjoying ourselves and I have to start letting her know that everything is going to be okay. So I told her that don't worry, mommy's got a plan. You don't need to worry about this. Everything is fine. I was lying through my teeth I had no plan. <laughs> I had no idea. But at that point, I, I decided, and it took me a few years, but I decided that I was gonna start enjoying my kids, enjoying mm-hmm. my family and doing more stuff with them. And that was sort of our middle years where things really calmed down for a while. And I'll tell you something, it came at great cost because I worked less. Frankly, I spent more money than I had. (laughs) I, I ran up a little bit of debt. Um, but I, I, you know, I spent a lot of time with Caroline one-on-one because she needed it. I spent a lot of time with Elizabeth one-on-one and, we spent, we did day trips, we did overnight trips, we we had time by our pool, and th- these are the pictures in the book that I show you. Oh, like I, I made a concerted effort to just be mom and spend time with my kids because we were on a hamster wheel, and I just got off at that point. And, I, I really appreciate you asking that question yeah. because that was a lesson hard learned, and that I really go around the country telling other moms and other parents about right now.
0: Well, and I think it's too, and and you can speak to this as well as is, is a lot of parents, um, the the kid with the disability, if it's a <clears throat> intellectual, physical, uh, whatever it is, they get a lot of the attention in the home, right? So the caregiver yeah. is constantly, and especially in, in, in Elizabeth's case, she was, you know, bound in a chair. And so the, the caregiving's a lot more. Right. And so the second child or third or fourth in the home get, they know that all the focus is on that child. Right. And so that's why Caroline and I saw that a lot uh, as well. <clears throat> and I think you're answering that question for parents. You, you just got to slow down and give the attention to the other kids. Cause at the end of the day, Yes. As a family. So how did Carolina deal with that? Did you have conversations with her constantly that this is what our life is? We take care Elizabeth, but you're just as important. Yes. <laughs> yes. Everybody's
1: important and you have to do it at an age appropriate level. Yes. You know, depending on, you know, everybody's age and under under ability to understand just like, when, when they're five or six and they're worrying about when they're going to have to take over responsibility, but then when they're, maybe they're 10 and then you're having a different conversation about, you know, what's going on. But then, you know, when Caroline's, you know, 10 or 11 and Elizabeth's being hospitalized and Mm -hmm. she's in critical condition and you're having that conversation. And then, you know, when, when Elizabeth, is dying and Caroline is 13, then I'm having a a real heartfelt conversation with her about, you know, you're losing your sister and this is really hard, but we're being honest with her about what's going on so that she can say goodbye. Because this is so important to be truthful and to make sure that she has those moments to crawl up on the bed with her sister, Mm -hmm. you know, and get those final hugs in. Those, those are the, so it's that age appropriateness of those conversations. But yes, you're spending the time with siblings and you're going to dance and you're making sure that you're seeing the dance recital and going to Girl Scout camping and doing those things and not always sending the nanny or the caregiver, if you even have those people to do that. Um, if you're blessed, like I was, to be able to shuffle around people. I know not everybody is lucky enough to be able to do that. But, you know, sometimes you have to send the caregiver with with the disabled child and not always with the well child. So it just depends. As parents, we have to make tough choices. And here's what else we have to do, Matthew. Mm -hmm. This is the hard thing. This is the thing that we don't always do. We have to give ourselves a break. We have to let ourselves off the hook because we are not perfect. We're not always going to make the right choice. Sometimes we're going to make mistakes. Sometimes we're going to do the wrong thing. Sometimes we're going to be imperfect. Sometimes we're going to need an extra nap. (laughs) Sometimes those dishes are not going to get done. Sometimes the laundry is going to be dirty for a couple of extra days and we can just order extra underwear on Amazon, you know, because it's easier than trying to get the laundry done sometimes. Sometimes we need to phone up for pizza because we're not making dinner or, you know, maybe we have to call a friend and ask for help because... We're always afraid to ask for help. Why are we afraid to ask for help? Yeah. Sometimes we just need to do that. Sometimes we need to wave that white flag and say, I can't handle this anymore. I need a break. I need a few hours. I got to get out of the house because I'm losing my stuff.
0: And when you waved that flag, did people actually, was it surprising people were willing to help you when you actually asked?
1: You know what? I was horrible at this. I didn't do it. That lesson came really late to me, really late to me. And I only asked for help after Elizabeth passed. Mm. And I wish that I had asked for help more. I really do because I could have used it sooner. I really could have.
0: And, Um, and, And you hit a big point right there with caregiving and, and helping, uh, disabled children that are wheelchair bound is, is that burnout, you know, a lot of them feel so guilty that they don't ask for help that it ends up hurting them in the long run. uh, Mm -hmm. The caregiver, Um, it's called, you know, uh, compassion fatigue. I'm actually doing a certification on it right now. We don't realize the burn, the hit, the hard part if we don't wave that flag a little bit more often, what would be some advice there for parents uh, that are just starting their journey or in the middle of it?
1: Build your team. You got to build your team around you, and that circle of care is what I call it. And everybody has a different name for it. Mm-hmm. I haven't, you know, tapped this as like the name or whatever. That's just what I call it—the yeah. circle of care. And those people are going to change over time. So for some people, that's mostly family. Other people, that's you know your neighbors, people in your temple or your church some combination, sometimes those are people at school, those are people maybe, um, you know, I mean, in my circle of care, I actually had like our pharmacist who was so good to us, he used to, I could never get there on time before he closed. He used to leave Elizabeth's medication in a little bag with a a cold pack for me in a mailbox. God knows, I'm sure that was not legal for him <laughs> to do that, but he was That's so huge. good to me. That's he would Yeah, he would leave this compounded medication in this little mailbox, you know, where only he and I knew it was, and he would leave it for me, because it was so hard for me to get there. Wow. You know, I still see this guy at events and stuff. I yeah. mean, he's amazing. I'll right?
0: give, give them a hug every time you see it. Right?
1: I do You just <laughs> never know what people are going to be willing to do for you if you ask them right That's your circle
0: Yeah people always ask. I remember going through workshops and they said, well why I remember a family in Burbank they sat down with me it was funny because I'd always get about 100 parents, 50 to 100 uh, show up and this this one workshop I only had two parents show up it was a, mo- a wife and a husband. It was, mm. it never happened. And you can call it chance. I call it a higher power because um, we sat down and they actually owned all the theaters in Burbank. Um, they were a pretty powerful couple. And they says, uh, we just got word. We just got told our son has autism and we don't know what to do. And so it, it became a one-on-one session more. So we walked through the, that emotion. And, um, you know, one of the things um, I, I see in caregiving is, it could be any type of caregiving is that over the years after so many years of being in the field and helping families in crisis is that there's, there's a big network in in families, I think, and you can speak this to more, uh, more in depth on this is you got to use each other. You got to work with each other, a family unit. If you have more than just yourself, if you're a single parent, you, you know what that's like. If you have a few children in the home, what would be your advice to those family units? Cause that's what I would run up against is parents would take the whole burden on mm-hmm. and they wouldn't teach the family how to pitch in. So what would you, you know, over the years, uh, what would you tell those families?
1: If you have multiple kids with special needs
0: or just family, if maybe it's one child with special needs, do you start teaching the family to help pitch in and take care of stuff so that not one person gets burned out?
1: Yeah. I think so but it is going to be very individual depending yeah, yeah. on your family members strengths and um, or, or not strengths so it's kind of hard to say but they definitely for most people those family members are going to be part of your circle of care yeah. and, and it really is going to depend on what age is appropriate for your family so for example in my practice we talk a lot about Um, guardians successor guardians and what's the right age for an adult sibling to start taking on some potential guardianship duties right but that is so different depending on that person that sibling because you know not everybody is ready at 20 or 25 and you know, what's going on in their life and what's their personality like and how uh, responsible are they? And so are we talking about physical hands-on caregiving versus just emotional support versus just decision-making? So many considerations. And sometimes it can really help for parents to start writing out what we call a letter of intent so, Matthew, this, this is something that I recommend for uh, parents to start doing at an early age is to start a letter of intent. And it can start very, very small because this is a hard thing to do. Start small and start writing out your wishes for your child when your child is younger. And that letter can grow. It's almost like your, your babysitting note that just kind of grows and grows and grows. It's the babysitting Mm -hmm. note, but you're not coming back, you know? So you start with the things like, you know, all your wishes for your child, uh, um, you know, the things that they like and the things that they don't like. And, you know, Oh yes, you've got your typical things like your medication list and that sort of thing. But then all of the stuff, like, Oh, the doctors that you never want them to go back to and the ones (laughs) that you really love. And, you know, this, you know, my kid loves trains and this is the blankie that keeps them calm. And, and then it just kind of goes on for there. And then, you know, well, how do I see them when they grow up? And, you know, I really want them to have a job do, you know, and, and I, I kind of think that they're going to want to go to college someday, but they're going to need this kind of support. And this is what I mean by that letter just kind of grows and evolves over time. It's not something you sit down and do overnight one night, you Mm -hmm. know, it's, it's, it's just an evolution over time. So I love it. That, that letter of intent is a good place to start. And then eventually, when you think about and you look at that letter of intent, you start to realize what kind of person or people you're going to need to support your child because it starts to be clear what the needs of your child are, and then your circle starts to... Starts to show up for you.
0: So you kind of manifest it. So where you're, you're kind of working through it, and that's huge. I, I've never, you know, working with a lot of families with IEPs, I've never used that tactic. That would be a good letter okay. to start.
1: Letter of intent, and then um, the other thing that people do once your child is older and they're an adult mm-hmm. is they uh, you start using a technique called person-centered planning.
0: Oh, we use that. Yep.
1: Yep. So
0: the person that you're uh, in it, and it's important whatever the person it's individual for that individual, um, mm-hmm. because every treatment is different. Every plan is different.
1: Right. So
0: well, this has been great. So the book, I, I want you, where can they go get it? Cause they need to read it. I'm just telling you. So where can they go get thank
1: it? You. Well, thank you so much for, for, um, bringing me on and oh, talking about it. the book. It was a labor of love for sure. Yeah. Um, it's on Amazon. It's probably the easiest place, but you can get it anywhere else that books are sold. Um, yep. So Amazon's the easiest, and I, I and guess if, that's, that's.
0: And the if problem. they have any, you you said you had an organization. What where can they find your your organization that you created?
1: specialneedscompanies.com is the easiest place to connect with me and I'm on all the social channels. I'm Mm -hmm. on Twitter and I'm on Facebook and, um, but specialneedscompanies.com, you can find all of my social channels there. Um, We give out and um, connect with a lot of free resources. So, um, and we do have Connection and resources all over the country. So, just because we are in Massachusetts, do not think that we don't have resources for you wherever you are. Uh, My podcast is listened to all over the world. So, we do um, have topics for families everywhere. So, that's been fun. I've been podcasting not as long as you. I think your podcast has been out for a while. Mine's only been since last year. So,
0: Mine's been off and on, but it's been fun. (laughs) It's it's a lot of work, isn't it?
1: (laughs) It is, but it's, it's a favorite thing of mine to do. It's so fun connecting with everybody. I love it. It's just a great way to get information out to people.
0: It is. And, you know, I just, I'm, I want to, you know, in the show, I'm going to ask you to give some three things that you can give to parents as you've been out speaking. But just take a minute and just say, thank you so much for writing this book, because parents need to hear the uh, raw emotions that you share in the book. Um, yeah, yeah
1: and it's it's been not a- always pretty, but it is honest, and mm-hmm. I do hope that it helps. I hope that it helps people on their journey, yeah. um, and if you have a grief journey like mine, I think it'll definitely be helpful.
0: Yeah, Well, what are three things you can leave with the listeners or parents that are going through it? What would be your three things of a given advice?
1: Well, I definitely want you to remember to pull your team together, okay? You start early and remember that your team is going to evolve over time. You're not going to have the same people on your team when your child is five that you have when your child is 15 or 30, but that team is very important. So start with that. The second thing, not a surprise, right? Don't forget about siblings. If you have siblings, that is so important. And my third thing I don't think is going to surprise you either. Please don't forget about self-care parents. So important. You have to take care of yourselves. You do not need to be perfect. Okay. You do just need to do your best and give yourself a break because I really wish that I was not so late to the game in learning this, this lesson. I think I would have suffered a lot less, um, and I really wish that I had somebody mentoring me along who, who would have taught me this lesson, uh, and I would not have felt so alone and so scared all of the time. But you are very important. You are a member of your family, and every member of the family is very important. So please take care of yourselves as well.
0: Well, thank you so much. And we're going to have you back on because I'm going to have you on and answer lawyer questions and all sorts of fun things, but uh, beautiful book. And again, if you're listening, go get this book. It is truly somebody that is purpose-driven that wrote it from the ends of experiencing what she experienced. But the biggest beauty is like she says, she keeps seeing butterflies. Elizabeth is with her and it, you can't miss the heart-filled uh, story throughout the book and um, if you're listening you know go and check out itunes check out other episodes but we're going to be posting this episode here coming up and you'll be basically helping us push out this information share with those that you know can use it and if you're always listening continue to work on you be purpose driven and don't give up and if you have any questions let us know what we can do for you till next time continue to be you and don't give up on yourself and those around you take care Hey, guys, thank you for listening to the Purpose Driven Person podcast. Something I said today resonated with you. Head over to my website. I would love to give you a free gift to download, but you can also email me at purposedrivenperson at gmail.com. And don't forget to head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And remember, guys, always continue to push your dreams and never give up. I'll see you next time. Take care.